1: voting overwhelmingly to immediately expel the once powerful and feared producer, saying the era of willful ignorance and shameful complicity and sexually predatory behavior and workplace harassment in our industry is over yes finally the group that counts among its current members roman polanski bill cosby and mel gibson has found the one guy who treated women badly and kicked him out so congratulations hollywood see you on the next Oscars, where and this is true casey affleck will be presenting best actress
4: See Armstrong and Getty Show, and that's just the famous ones, too. There are a couple of guys uh, who are directing films right now or are convicted of uh, child molestation. There are casting directors all over Hollywood who've molested children, who engage in you know, the worst sort of, uh, uh, well, harassment, I think, is the right term because it's men are you know, harassed constantly, too. So, yeah, this, this great show of tossing one guy out is uh, just not, not terribly compelling. Uh, welcome to the show, glad you're here. Thanks very much for tuning in. Jean Twenge, or is it Twenge? T-W-E-N-G-E. you got to change that name. Go St. John like a disc jockey. Jean St. John. Jean Twenge is a researcher who's spent her career researching generational differences. Now, we've always thought generational differences are kind of silly and overblown, but... People uh, used to wear hats. Yeah, she <laughs> she doesn't, like, separate generations. She just looks at behaviors and how they change. And, um, you know, generally speaking, we try to avoid reading much to you on the air, uh, but there's so much in this piece that she ran the Atlantic.com uh, that we're going to read you chunks of it, but... Uh, We've also posted a link at armstrongandgettyradio.com, or will, within seconds, right? Is it up already? Oh, it will be in seconds, okay. Uh, Because I think certainly every parent um, is going to want to take a look at this, maybe just you for your own purposes. The title of the uh, rather lengthy piece, it's, it's half a book, is Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? And it starts as usual, uh, these things do, with a a specific person's experience or what they say, blah, 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 but um, it starts with the fact that going out to meet friends is more and more rare among kids, among teenagers, and more and more this girl and her friends spend time together on their phones, unchaperoned, and... Unlike, you know, chatting on the phone and tying up the family phone line like days of old, uh, they talk on Snapchat, and they make sure to keep their snap streaks, which show how many days in a row they've Snapchatted with each other going. Um, a lot of the internet sites have realized the, the appeal of having a streak going.
5: I remember one of my nieces mentioned that one time. Yeah. So we were visiting, and I'd like we were in line for something for a couple of minutes, and she said, no big deal, I just Snapchatted five of my friends. Yeah, something about a streak or something. Right. I didn't really know what that meant. But. I, uh,
4: you know, maybe it's, maybe it's because I was older or something. I don't know, but I, that just immediately strikes me as manipulation. Right? I mean, why? Oh, yeah. Why would that be some sort of admirable activity to do this several days in a row? That that serves you, not me. I don't. I don't get it. But you know, I'm not a kid. I'm a bitter, bitter adult. Um, la-da-da. she told me she'd spent most of the summer hanging out alone in her room with her phone. It's just the way your generation is, she said. We didn't have a choice to know any life without iPads or iPhones. I think we like our phones more than we like actual people.
5: It is hard for me. I am disturbed by the way it has affected me, and I was introduced to it in my 40s. You have something to compare it to. Yeah. I can't imagine if the only life you've ever had is is the smartphone.
4: Here's the really interesting part. This was the, the part that first grabbed me. I've been researching generally, generational differences for 25 years, she writes, starting around when I was a 22-year-old doctoral student in psychology. Typically, the characteristics that come to define a generation appear gradually and along a continuum. Uh, for instance, uh, millennials are a highly individualistic generation, but individualism has been increasing since the baby boomers turned on, tuned in, and drop out, blah, blah, blah. I had grown accustomed to line graphs of trends that looked like modest hills and valleys. Then I began studying... Uh, the the new generation. Around 2012, I noticed abrupt shifts in teen behaviors and emotional states. The gentle slopes of the line graphs became steep mountains and sheer cliffs. And many of the distinctive characteristics of the millennial generation began to, dis- began to disappear. In all of my analysis of generational data, some reaching back to the 1930s, I had never seen anything like it. This reminds me some of the discussions we've had about uh, economics and jobs and, and economic policy. The problem isn't the change these days, although there is enormous change. The problem is the pace of change. You know, the, uh, as the horseless carriage replaced the, the horse, you know, that took place over years and years and years in America. Now you have a technology to replace another one, and two years later or a year later, the plant that made the first one is shuttered. It's gone and nobody saw it coming and everybody who worked there is screwed. So, you know, pace of change matters. Uh, the uh, and, and so that's, well, here's one of those changes. The allure of independence, which was so powerful to previous generations, hold less, holds less sway over today's teens. At first I thought these might be blips, but the trends persisted across several years and series of national surveys. The changes weren't, just in degree, but in kind. The diff- biggest difference between the millennials and their predecessors was in how they viewed the world. Teens today differ from millennials, not just in their views, but in how they spend their time. The experiences they have every day are radically different from those of the generation that came of age just a few years before them. Um, and I think, uh, or uh, did she mention coming up, I think she calls them uh, iGen. Mm-hmm. And iGen is radically different from millennials in what they do, how they spend their days, and how they feel about everything. The more I poured over yearly surveys of teen attitudes and behaviors, and the more I talked with young people, the clearer it became that theirs is a generation shaped by the smartphone and the concomitant rise of social media. I call them iGen. Born between 95 and 2012, um... Uh, they've uh, had a smartphone, had an Instagram account before high school. Don't remember a time before the internet, etc., etc. Um, the advent of the smartphone and its cousin, the tablet, were followed quickly by hand-wringing about screen time. But the impact of these devices, has not been fully appreciated, it goes far beyond the usual concerns about curtailed attention spans. The arrival of the smartphone has radically changed every aspect of teenagers' lives, from the nature of their social interactions to their mental health. These changes have affected young people in every corner of the nation, every type of household. The trends appear among teens, poor and rich, every ethnic background in cities, suburbs, and small towns. Where there are cell towers, there are teens living on their smartphones. Then she says, and this was the second moment that grabbed me that I thought, okay, I really have to take this seriously. Um, To those of us who fondly recall a more analog adolescence, this may seem foreign and troubling, The aim of generational studies, however, is not to succumb to nostalgia for the way things used to be. It's to understand how they are now. Some generational changes are positive. Some are negative. Many are both. More comfortable in their bedrooms than in a car or at a party? Today's teens are physically safer than teens have ever been. They're markedly less likely to get into a car accident.
5: Yeah, if if you don't leave your parents' house, it is safer. There's definitely an upside.
4: They have less of a taste for alcohol. Uh, later on, she mentions the huge drop in teen, teen pregnancy, etc. Psychologically, however, they are more vulnerable than millennials were. Rates of teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed since 2011. Skyrocketed in six years. It's not an exaggeration to describe iGen as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. Much of the deterioration can be traced to their phones.
5: The idea that uh, you don't leave your bedroom, you don't drink, you're not hooking up. So you're not driving, you're not getting drunk, you're not getting pregnant. But you're really depressed with this life of just living in your bedroom. It's not surprising. She gets into the data. We can
4: take a break right now and then um, come back. And the specific studies that they did about teens, emotional health, and social media will blow your mind. You're going to gonna want to go home and post them right away. Well, go home. You get your phone in your hand. You're going to want to Instagram and Facebook. What I tell you immediately.
5: Mm-hmm. That was irony, I assume.
4: No. Yes. That's right. Uh, it's seriously shocking stuff. Stay with me. Okay. Us. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
5: I got... That student who's been accused of multiple counts of sexual assault is reportedly going to Europe for sex rehab. Somehow, I don't think that's going to help anybody. <laughs> he doesn't need sex rehab. He needs a specialized facility where there are no women, no contact with the outside world, metal bars, and it's a prison. <laughs> Woo! Way to take it to him after everybody else has. Those would have been great jokes a week ago, you cowards. Uh, we are going to get into that 60 Minutes story. 60 Minutes, Washington Post teaming up on why are so many people dying from opioids in America? And it turns out uh, Congress and the drug companies are in on it. So we're going to have that for you at about 9.04. It's pretty interesting. Excellent. Looking
4: forward to it. Continuing on, taking a look at this massive piece that we have a link for for you um, in the Atlantic, if smartphones destroyed a generation, Gene M. Twenge, the researcher who who wrote it, we have a link at the Hot Links section of armstrongandgettyradio.com because it's way too long and complete to, to share it all with you on the air. Um, but And it gets into solutions, too. So I'd absolutely, whether you're a young person or a parent or whatever, you ought to read it. But here's the solution. We're all doomed. Listen to this. The suicide rate among young people has skyrocketed, and it's coincided with social media use on smartphones. Three times as many 12- to 14-year-old girls killed themselves in 2015 as in 2007. Three times as many 12- to 14-year-old girls committed suicide in 2015 as opposed to 2007.
5: If I didn't know what you were talking about and you told me, what do you think caused it? My, My guess would be smartphone, social media, that whole lifestyle. Right. Twice as many
4: boys, but it's been particularly insidious with girls.
5: You know something that's troubling? If my if my kids were junior high kids, high school kids, and looked at their phone as much as I do, I'd be horrified and worried, mm. which is kind of weird. Yeah.
4: So m- moving along, this piece um, mentions, and we'll get back to the suicide thing in a second. I just wanted to highlight that because it's just absolutely horrifying. Rates of teen, teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed since, you know, depends what year, 2007, 2008, uh, 2011. I mean, not since the 1940s, like in the last six, seven years, because it's the first generation of 12-year-old girls who have subjected themselves to the horrors of social media.
5: Well, it's hard. Maybe she gets into this because I, I, we talked about her and her iGen stuff a couple of months ago when she first came out with that research. But, um The nailing down exactly what it is, you know, that constant input of our brain. Who knows what's that doing to our brain? It'll probably take decades to do the studies to figure out what getting constant rewards all day long does to your brain over time. Right. And especially if you're young and your brain is, you know, growing. Right. Uh, She says this is some
4: really good writing. She's talking about in the early 70s, a photographer shot a series of portraits at a roller skating rink in Tampa, Florida. And she mentions you a shirtless teen with a bottle of peppermint schnapps in his jeans, a boy who looks to be 12 years old, has a cigarette in his mouth, blah, blah, blah. But she said the theme, really, from all of them, was the self-confidence born of making your own choices, even if they were stupid choices, and ones the parents wouldn't agree with. Uh, Fifteen years later, during my own teenage years, a member of Generation X, uh, she mentions the, uh, the allure of driver's licenses, how everybody was desperate to have a driver's license.
5: Absolutely. The first day you could get
4: it. And now, kids, many kids say, I would got a driver's license because my parents wouldn't stop bugging me to get it. Twelve graders in uh, 2015 were going out less often than eighth graders did as recently as 2009. Wow. I'll say that again. Wow. So the the desire to leave the house, go make decisions be on your own, be with your friends, etc. 12th graders were going out less often than 8th graders did as recently as 2009.
5: Let alone comparing it to the 80s or the 70s right. or something.
4: She goes wow. less likely to date, etc. decline in uh, teen pregnancy um Blah blah blah. Independence isn't free. You need some money in your pocket. She talks about the decline in uh teenagers working and some of the reasons for that. Uh and there are multiple reasons. That one's pretty complicated. Um but it it all comes down to independence and, and that sort of thing.
5: God, if you had told parents you know, in the in the eighties or whenever I envision a future when teens aren't getting pregnant, aren't drinking, aren't smoking, aren't getting killed in car crashes. You'd thought, bring it on! Right, perfect. What is this Finally. miracle pill? Well, the miracle pill is they stay in their rooms and are depressed and killing themselves.
4: The number, wow. of, uh, the number of teens, and she gets into to family dislocation, how we're not communicating with each other. Um, even you know the troubled communications of teens and their parents in the past was at least communicating, but. Um, The number of teens who get together with their friends nearly every day dropped by more than 40% in the 15 years from 2000 to 2015. 40%! The decline has been especially steep recently. It's not only a matter of fewer kids partying, fewer kids are spending time simply hanging out. That's something most teens used to do. Nerds and jocks, poor kids, rich kids, C students and A students, roller rink, basketball court, town pool, local making out spot. They've all been replaced by virtual spaces accessed through the apps and webs. Maybe now is a good point to point out that we've been saying for the longest time, I've been hammering this, being with another human being and interacting with them is a, is a meal. It's a complete meal. Maybe it's a good meal. Maybe it's not a great meal, but it's a meal. Social media is, is, is a mouthful of candy. It's eating a bunch of candy, and you're not hungry anymore. But you've taken in no nutrients. I've believed that for a long, long time. Well, I'm
5: sure that's true. But right. we, we weren't hanging out with people when we were younger out of strength of character. We have a need right. as, as, a, as a beast, and that was the only way to fulfill it. Now right. there's another way to fulfill it.
4: Well, yeah, it was the only way to fulfill it for millennia, though. Um, you might expect the teens spend so much time in these new spaces because it makes them happy. Here is the key. But most data suggests that it does not there's this uh, f- survey uh, founded by the National Institute on Drug Abuse that's asked 12 graders more than 1,000 questions every year since 1975. And since 91, they've been talking to 8th graders as well. The survey asks teens how happy they are, how much of their leisure time they spend on various activities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The results could not be clearer. Teens who spend more time, on average, more time than average on screen activities are more likely to be unhappy. And those who spend more time on than average on non-screen activities are more likely to be happy not a single exception and then she goes on that okay correlation
5: I don't, not i don't doubt that at all either mm-hmm. i just just intuitively
4: eighth graders who spend 10 hours a week or more on social media are 50 cent 56 percent more likely to say they're unhappy than those that spend less time now you're a smart person you take in statistics you understand the uh correlation causation thing maybe it's Unhappy kids spend more time on social media. Good one. Which would uh, skew the results. Um, One study asked college students with a Facebook page to complete short surveys on their phone, et cetera, et cetera. Um, The more they used Facebook, the unhappier they felt. But feeling unhappy did not lead to more Facebook use. And there was a direct correlation. The less they used Facebook, the more they reported happiness. And. It was, it was not correlation, not equaling causation. It was direct uh, causation.
5: I'm on Anthony Weiner. I don't spend a lot of time on high school kids' social media, so I don't know what they're up to. But I'm assuming if it's like adult social media, so they're seeing the idealized version of others and comparing it to their real life. Mm-hmm which the other is not real, but you could easily be. Adults are convinced of that their friends are having perfect lives, it, so I'm certain
4: kids do. Yeah, it's comparing other people's highlight reel to
6: your yeah.
5: cutting room floor. So I'm sure that's happening, too. Not
4: to mention with the constant either reinforcement or lack of reinforcement that conditions you to chase it constantly.
5: And then the thing of, uh, you know, if somebody's calling Jenny a slut, uh, it's not just whispers in the hallway anymore. It's every. It goes through the whole Facebook or whatever they're right. using at the time. Right.
4: If you were to give advice for a happy adolescence based on this survey, it would be straightforward. Put down the phone. Turn off the laptop and do something, anything, that does not involve a screen.
5: Boy, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this because my kids aren't there yet, and I don't know what the su- the, the, the information will be out at the time because it looks like it's going this direction. But I could see myself being a real radical on this, a fundamentalist. Yeah. you just We don't get to use it in the house, or you get uh, 20 minutes a night or something like that. No carrying around your phone and staring at it. Teens' feelings of loneliness
4: spiked in 2013 and have remained high since directly along with uh, social media use and smartphone use. They are lonelier by huge margins than they used to be while they're constantly connected, which is really all you need to know. Giant jumps in depression. Eighth graders who are heavy users of social media, increase their risk of depression by 27%. Those who play sports, go to religious service, or even do homework more than the average teen cut the risk significantly. Something, anything other than social media.
5: And we all know you can, you can fill your body with candy with uh, your smartphone easily. Oh yeah, you haven't accomplished anything. You've made yourself more miserable. But it's easy to kill an hour or a day sitting in an airport or whatever you got to do with this crap. So easy to do it. It really is like eating candy.
4: Teens who spend three hours a day or more on electronic devices are 35 percent more likely to have a risk factor for suicide, such as making a suicide plan. And then she gets into the uh, god awful suicide rates, um, and a lot of it has to do, they think, with the feeling of being left out being included and excluded, which is super amplified on social media. Then we mentioned the teen. Um,
5: I like that, comparing other people's highlight reels to your real life. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that that bothers everybody.
4: And finally, a hopeful note. But I'm telling you, it, 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 the tough parts of parenting are the parts that really need to happen. If all you do is the easy parts of parenting, you're a bad parent. How's that for judging? You've got to man up or woman up and do the uncomfortable stuff. But here's a hopeful note. In my conversations with teens, I saw hopeful signs that kids themselves are beginning to link some of their troubles to their ever-present phone. This young girl who she's been talking about throughout the article told me that when she does spend time with her friends in person, they're often looking at their devices instead of at her. I'm trying to talk to them about something, and they don't actually look at my face. They're looking at their phone or they're looking at their Apple Watch. Um, What does that feel like when you're trying to talk to somebody face-to-face and they're not looking at you, I asked. It kind of hurts, she said. It hurts. I know my parents' generation didn't do that. I could be talking about something super important to me, and they wouldn't even be listening. Once she told me she was hanging out with a friend who was texting her boyfriend, I was trying to talk to her about my family and what was going on, and she was like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, uh uh-huh. So I tucked her phone out of her hands and I threw it at my wall. I couldn't help laughing. You play volleyball, I said. Do you have a pretty good arm? Yep, she replied.
5: I wonder where we're going to be ten years from now. I wonder if it's going to be their phones are going to come with a government government regulation, or the you know the pediatricians will recommend uh, people under eighteen don't get them. I, I don't know where we'll be ten years from now. You know, one of the reasons we went through
4: the preceding two uh, segments was to address that very question. I just think awareness is incredibly important. I think that people need to understand that they're eating candy and not getting proper nutrition, and that it's particularly insidious for teens in. Young teens. I mean, the suicide rate for 10 to 12 year old girls has effing
5: tripled. Well, we've got awareness on the whole junk food thing, and we're getting fatter and fatter, and we've had awareness for 20 years. I'm oh. sure awareness always works.
4: I hate to sound unfeeling, but look out for you and yours. Oh, yeah. Like I look out for me and mine. I'm not sure. We can't help everybody, but save as many people as
5: you can. I just wonder where we'll be.
4: I'm hoping it's like a lot of things that come and go in society that w- w- once we're exposed to them for a while and realize what they're doing to us as well as for us, awareness increases.
5: Yeah, It's all pretty new.
4: Yeah. Yeah. But I'm telling you, you got to you got to read the thing. Read the whole thing. It's posted at Armstrong and Getty I, Radio. I don't on. have
5: the attention span for that. Yeah, I was concerned about <laughs> if that. If somebody could text me short parts of it
4: bullet points. i will send you 430 brief texts right that will be the entire
5: that would right. be awesome because yeah. each text is a ding and my brain goes yes i got something new to look at the most exciting text of
4: my life god imagine if you're an adolescent without any good solid sense of who you are and and you know what your life means and and the fact that you can take the slings and arrows because you know haters are going to hate or whatever, you can't please everyone. No, you're a, you're a 12-year-old little girl, for God's sake,
5: you know the or old, a young boy. You know the old joke uh, that uh, nobody's on their deathbed and thinks, I wish I'd have spent more time at the office? Yeah. The modern one is definitely going to be nobody's on their deathbed and wishes they'd stared at their phone more. Right, Spent more time on Facebook. Nobody. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips?
7: Well, we got a world in turmoil. Former White House strategist Steve Bannon declaring war on the GOP establishment. And brother on brother at tomorrow's Weinstein Company meeting expect a blowout.
5: Stories coming up minutes from now. Armstrong and Getty. He's going to be allowed in.
4: Stay tuned, Jack. I will to the Armstrong
5: and Getty show.
4: I'm going to throw I'm gonna throw this phone <laughs> across the room.
5: well a school has pulled another school has pulled to kill a mockingbird because it's got the n-word in it oh no oh no That that is where we are as a country oh no the first time ever a drone has crashed into a passenger plane. People oh. were worrying this would happen some, at some point. Oh, boy. Is there uh, any loss of life or anything? Megan Kelly with the Stay lowest tuned. ratings today has ever had. Maybe lower than her cable news show. haven't got the final numbers yet. A bunch of stuff on the way. Right now, news with Marsha Phillips. Quick
7: update. The two largest fires in Northern California now more than 40% contained. Some people being allowed to return home as mandatory evacuation orders are being lifted in some areas. Sonoma County fire officials say they're trying to bring people back in an orderly way.
5: A lot of factors go around that for safety for you, your families, your children to let you back into those areas. At the same time, we're still evacuating other areas.
7: Now, 75,000 people still evacuated. At least 40 people were killed and more than 5,700 homes and other buildings destroyed by those fires. The president and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell due to sit down today for what uh, could be a rather tense meeting at the White House since the two have been publicly clashing over health care and the inability of the Republican-led Congress to pass any meaningful legislation. Now some conservative groups calling for McConnell's resignation, including former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon, who was telling religious conservatives at a Sunday meeting he's committed to dumping McConnell and other establishment Republicans. Right now, it's a season of war against a GOP establishment. This is not my war. This is our war. And you all didn't start it. The establishment started it. Steve Bannon, yeah. declaring war.
5: I don't think that him. Trump and McConnell having lunch thing. Politicians and businessmen, they have no feelings. They have the ability to just look past everything for what they want to get accomplished. Mm-hmm. Don't you think?
4: Yeah, I think it'll be fine. It may be a little tense, but nothing they haven't dealt with a thousand times before. Right. Where it ends, nobody knows, though, because no, Bannon no. has declared, well, you just heard it, war on the quote-unquote Republican establishment, and anybody who stands in the way of Trump's agenda as he sees it right. will be receiving giant, uh, well, they will be challenged by people in the primaries who will be receiving giant influxes of cash, infusions of cash, from Bannon and his financiers, so he's uh, he's created in himself like a symbolic uh, general uh, fighting against these people, well financed and backing anybody who's willing to join him.
5: Well, on both sides, is money going to flow into De Leon now that he's taken on uh, Diane Feinstein? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, and um, you know you are going to have it on the right and yep. the left. Bannon's yep. going to be funding people. I I think a lot of money could flow into unseating um, Diane Feinstein because she is not she is not in step with the. The real energy of the, the Democrats. Yeah, she's a moderate, no doubt.
4: Well, and that's going to play out, uh, God help me, the 2012 presidential election is going to be a gigantic war from the uh, Sanders Warren wing of the Democrat Party and the mainstreamers. So, you know, the Republicans are getting a lot of press right now because it's, you know, fun to watch, but uh, there's a battle royale coming on the left. The Weinstein
7: Company holding a meeting tomorrow, on TMZ says there is bound to be conflict with Harvey Weinstein on the phone from rehab, looking for a showdown with his brother Bob over getting fired.
5: On the phone from rehab, yep, sex rehab, yep. Which rehab did he land at? Does anybody know?
7: I'm not sure. Did we Someplace ever? Some place in Arizona, I yep. think. Yeah, the one he was going to go to, then he suddenly popped up at another one. So uh, yeah. anyway,
5: from whatever rehab, sex rehab place he's at, he's going to be calling in. Who, who hey. is there? Anybody who thinks he's taking like a a real honest uh, you know evaluation no. of his life? <laughs>
6: <laughs> hey, hey, Harvey, we're gonna need your What is that? Are you in the shower? Are you in the shower on the phone right now, Harvey?
5: Oh yeah, and I got a babe with me. Oh yeah, got the maid to watch me take a shower.
6: Jeez. <laughs> oh One of
7: Harvey's attorneys is going to be at the meeting to argue that her client can't be fired because it's in his contract that if he's accused of anything, he can keep his job if he reimburses the company for any settlement and then pays the company a penalty. That's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the voice of the West.
4: Well, I think I said this about another topic a little earlier. Uh, All we can hope is that it turns very, very ugly.
5: (laughs) 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 Oh, that'd be great. Keep it in the headlines for weeks. That would amuse me. So Harvey, though, he could end up going to jail, right? Yeah. If these rape things come true abroad or in the United States, he's got to be somewhat worried about that, actually end up in prison. Well,
4: he will not risk a trip to Europe or anywhere he's charged, so it's got to be in the States, and I don't know. It's a little
5: iffy, but it could happen.
4: Hmm.
5: We got a drug epidemic going on, and it's coming from uh, Congress and the big drug companies, according to The Washington Post in 60 Minutes. We'll get a report on that coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show.
6: Aquifax executives sold nearly $2 million in company stock days after the data breach was discovered.
1: Wow. Selling stock before the public knows there's a problem is one of those things that looks suspicious whether or not you're actually doing something wrong. It's like walking into a petting zoo with a bib on. (laughs) What exactly are you planning on messily devouring in there?
5: Uh, yeah. Um. So, thanks for tuning us in. One of positive Sean's causes, if you uh, if you remember, is he has been claiming for years that Stevie Wonder can actually see. Ah, and right. That, it, that it's a hoax for some reason.
4: It's a hell of a long running hoax.
5: Cover of the National Enquirer, currently on your grocery store newsstand. Stevie Wonder can see again inside the incredible medical procedure. <laughs>
6: Take out the
4: again, maybe you'll be a little bit more accurate, but... Right. He exactly. got tired of the that, ruse. That in no way uh, justifies Sean's ridiculous theories. I
5: think it makes it clear that Sean is right. So Stevie Wonder got tired after all these years. You know what? I you know, How many years I got left? I'm not going to pretend I'm blind. It was a good way to get in. People thought, wow, look at this young black guy who's blind and how he can sing and play the piano. <laughs> he could have
6: not have possibly foresaw the information age of smartphone and Twitter and social media. This was a con <laughs> developed in the darkness of analog. So to speak. And then once, well, he, you know, he... I, I'm I'm really impressed he was able to keep it up for as long as he did well, there you But go. Uh, finally there's just the the conscious just nibbling at him <laughs> bite, bite, bite,
5: bite, bite, bite. so um another school has banned to kill a mockingbird from its curriculum which is interesting to kill a civilization yeah uh in mississippi biloxi mississippi Because it's got the N-word in it, there were complaints about it, said the vice president of the Biloxi School Board. Well, if there's been complaints about it, you've got to ban it. There's no way you can go up against some complaints with an argument or just saying, sorry, but we're going to do it anyway or anything like that. You have no choice.
4: It would be impossible to say, we'll put it in context for the kids and help them understand that period.
5: Yeah, um, it's one of the most banned books in America, according to PBS, which did a story on this. Because
4: people are stupid.
5: Listen to this one. Just last December, school district in Virginia pulled the book from its curriculum and considered banning it outright following a complaint by a parent. A complaint. So a parent complains, and you take one of the classics of literature and uh, and ban it because, uh, well, a parent complained. That's that's good thinking. I'm glad you're in charge of students because you're obviously a freaking genius. God, that's just troubling.
4: Yeah, it is. Remember, if you're offended, that means you're necessarily correct. And you should get your way because nobody has ever been offended and 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 turned out to be a picky idiot or
5: wrong or misguided. I just. Uh... Remember Mark Garagos, the attorney? We've had him on before. Of course. He's defended a lot of scumbags over the years. So. Oh, yeah. Right. He's yeah. good. And people hire him because he's like the best.
4: Was he part of the, uh, OJ's team?
5: Seems like he, he, he was Scott Peterson's lawyer, uh, wasn't yes. he? Scott Peterson's lawyer. Yes, that's where, and and a number of other people. But right, we've talked right. to him before. Anyway, well, now he's representing Colin Kaepernick, oh. who's going after the NFL and saying that they uh, they colluded to keep him out. Um, I think they all individually came to the decision of the owners. I think they all individually came to the decision of my life would be easier if he's not on our team.
4: Yeah, Colin, listen, first of all, thanks for listening to the Armstrong and Getty show. But Colin, you're a nice young man. Once again, you're misguided. All the owners came to the same conclusion. Because it's obviously true, you would be a huge PR problem for them. They didn't need to collude. That was obvious. Mark Garagos is stealing your money, allegedly, if you're even paying him. Um, don't, Don't do this.
5: Although it's less true now, I would think. There's so many players that are... Wouldn't it be a story for like a day?
4: Yeah, this is that's why I told him, take it easy, lay low, Colin. You're about to the point where, especially with injuries, yeah. you are clearly good enough to be somebody's backup or 100% good enough to be somebody's third-string guy walking around with a clipboard in case of two devastating injuries. 100% you are that good, and everybody knows it. Just let the butt hurtedness die down a little bit, and you'll be playing again. There's been no collusion.
5: What was that? So, there, there's a rankings that came out, and they had him pretty high. Remember that story?
6: Well, yeah. He was like top 15 off some – it may have just been quarterback ratings or passer yeah. efficiency rating, one of those more advanced analytics things. Yeah. Put him in the top 20. there's but. a
5: lot of bad quarterbacks in the league, yeah. some of them starting. And even good – Good he quarterbacks was, was, on bad
6: teams have bad ratings and those sort of things. Those numbers are, are effective for fantasy football, a lot of things,
4: not necessarily player personnel decisions. But Joe's if you're talking right, about though. the starter or the backup, you only have to be in the top 64 right? and not you know have some insane salary demands to have a job in the NFL. The guy ought to be playing. I, I, but he's I, doing exactly the wrong thing
5: again. Yeah, I think you're right. The only thing that would keep him off a team is if he's once again going to be a press magnet. So he needs to not be that. Right. Right. You're getting bad advice, Colin. He should part his hair sensibly to the side, keep his mouth shut, and uh, go quarterback. You don't think? You're advising him on his hair? (laughs) You're listening to The Armstrong and Getty Show.
0: I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States.